0: Captured and imprisoned in the dungeons of King Thranduil, the hopes of Thorin's company have been dashed. Until, that is, the incredible cunning of a so-called burglar comes to the fore. With stealth and skill surprising even for a hobbit, Bilbo Baggins has managed to free his comrades and has embarked on a scheme to float them to freedom in giant barrels. The dwarves have made good their escape thanks to Bilbo Baggins' cunning ruse, though they are far from safe yet. Indeed, even if they bob down the Brisk River current in their barrels, Tharundur dispatches his rangers to bring them back. Worse still, Bolg and his hunters have caught their scent again and are determined to destroy the dwarves once and for all. Welcome to the Green Dragon Podcast. I'm Jeremy, here alone with a scenario spotlight. Actually, a double scenario spotlight. We're doing Barrels Out of Bond Part 1 and Barrels Out of Bond Part 2. The reason I'm on my own is because it's been difficult to get the group together at the moment. It's my busy time of year, and I really, really, really wanted to get a scenario spotlight out. This is my favorite segment, and it's always been my favorite segment, and it's just been lingering in the background for way too long. So I wanted to talk about some scenarios, so hopefully you enjoy this one. Barrels Out of Bond Part 1 is a scenario we've mentioned many, many times on the Green Dragon podcast. And the reason is because we enjoy it so much. So I'll dispense with the ratings. I really do like these scenarios. And I'm going to say why. I'm going to say some of the ways we've played it. And some of the ways we've played it wrong and right. And, and all kinds of ways to do it. Both these scenarios have Azog instead of... In the movie, that had Bolg going and chasing them. So this gives you a clue about when the actual scenario was written. From what I hear, it was written about the same time as The the Hobbit Rules and and written by Adam, because he gave some hints in an interview writing about a scenario with barrels and hunter orcs and elves jumping up and down the barrels, so it's probably quite an old scenario now. It took a while to get published, but it's well it's truly worth it if we get going. Okay, first of all, the layout. The scenario is played on both the forest river and the banks either side of it. The river needs to be wide. It's a river, not a stream after all, and ideally have a few points where the models can cross it. The banks should have scattered trees and rocks. See the map. Now, we've got this map drawn, and it looks a lot like the Games Workshop Realm of Battle Tiles with the lower parts covered in water. So that matches up with the picture in as well. So it looks like Games Workshop made a river board. It looks quite nice. It's got the image of a ga- old Games Workshop hill, which isn't available anymore as the Middle Island. I didn't use a Realm of Battle Ward for my personal table for this one. I did make a table for it. And I'm very proud of that. What I did was grab 6mm MDF. So it's a, the one step up from the smallest I could get in basically 600mm by 900mm panels, which two foot by three foot panels. Now on that, that was my river level. Then I got a three mil, so half that thickness. And this is a small thickness we can buy cheaply in, in just the local hardware store Bunnings. And basically what I did was cut out the land area on that and because the river twists certain ways, I can actually, on one 3 mil panel, get two river banks, So one on either side. So I cut that out nicely. Then I made it a bank by sanding down and, and making a slope on the edge of it, cutting out a little bit more than I needed so that the river fit in there. Put that on either side and did that twice to give me four boards with the river on it. So there's the basic structure of it. I screwed the boards down and made sure they, they were assembled nice and tightly. And that was really easy to do. Then I wanted to just make some rocks and detail on it. So I got a mold from Woodland Scenics, and this is a company that has a whole bunch of terrain stuff for essentially train model train builders. And they have a mold, they have a series of molds for rocks actually. They're not the best molds in the world because they're they're rubber and they need support. You need to put some clay or something under it if you're pouring anything in them. Now what I did, I sort of cheated on this. I've got once again from my local bunnings, I've got this two-part epoxy. Uh, resin, not resin, two-part epoxy putty that you rub together and it dries in five minutes and it goes really rock hard. It's it's great stuff. It's not the cheapest thing in the world. It's about the same cost that I, I'll get for green stuff and you end up using a bit of it but I use that to push into the mold. I've got a flat rock mold and the reason I use this is because it's very very resilient to breaking. I've used a hydrostone and plaster before and they're both very good but they do tend to break off so I found this this Pot, a putty was, was really effective for it. So I molded a whole bunch of rocks and used those on the boards to make rocks in the river. So some of the raised area, glued them in. Some of them on the banks, I was able to make rocky banks and blend that. So that was easy to construct. And finally, I got my drill out with my 6 mil drill bit and drilled a huge amount of holes on the banks of the river. Now, these are for my trees, which I've had a long time. I've got some dowel trees. So I've got a 6 mil bit of dowel. I put a whole bunch of wires around that dowel, taped it all up. Made the wires into a shape of trees and then textured it and painted it. And these trees have lasted me for a long, long time and they're really good. I've got probably about 90 of them and they work really well in this scenario. So I've got a really tree-filled banks of the river. The Middle Island, I did get one of my old games workshop hills and repurposed it to be a, an island. So I had to, it was a desert hill, I had to repaint it and reflock the middle of it. And I left the sides as the desert just so it looked like the banks of a river. Then put some water... Uh, some splashes on it just by, by dabbing some white on there. And then I drilled some holes in that as well. And once again, used the putty to, to bulk up the bottom so that the dowel would stick in. So the construction of this board was actually really quickly, really quick. It was easy to make. And it was relatively cheap to make for a board. For the painting, well, first of all, I had to, to texture it. So I got some a big can of texture paint that you use for houses and, and things. And I've got this bucket that I use for all my terrain. It's fantastic. And I painted all the, the board. So it ended up a desert colour, which is the, the darkest colour I could get at the time to texture paint. I'm sure you can get darker as well. And then I repainted it all with, some, once again, some house paints and things, some browns and dry brushing. Painted the river blue and then textured it with some lines and and gave it a varnish. And then just flocked the boards and they were, they were done pretty quickly. It only took me, I think, about two days to do this board. And it was well and truly worth it. Did it over summer, so... It was very easy to do. It dried really quickly, and it was definitely a good achievement. So I was really happy with that board. So that's the layout. The participants. For the good models, we have Legless Greenleaf. We have Tariel. We have 20 Merkwood Rangers, Bilbo Baggins on a barrel, and the 13 Dwarves on a barrel. So this is really great that you get to use the, the models that are on the barrels. This set, I'm sure it's still available, but I don't think it'll be available forever because it's a pretty niche item. It looks great. It's a great set. The barrels were smaller than I expected because they are dwarves in barrels. They really don't have a lot of bulk to them, but it is a fantastic little set. I really recommend, if you do want to get it, go get it now. I'm not, not saying that because I'm trying to get sales for anyone in particular, but I have a feeling it's going to be one of those sets that disappears and then there's a mad rush at the end and people buying it for lots of money or missing out. So if you do want to play this scenario make sure you get the barrels because they're the ones that are gonna be difficult to, to make. I guess you can make your own. You could use some barrels and put some dwarves in there. That wouldn't be too hard, but the barrel models are so nice, I recommend getting that. Merkled Rangers, once again, good models. They look better than they do in the pictures. When they came out there's some criticism that the plastics didn't look good. I think it's most of the paint jobs on the faces make them look like they've got really big foreheads. I really love those models. They're great elf models and legless and are good ones as well. So all good models on the good side. On the evil models, you've got Azog on the white warg. Now, this one, we've been subbing out quite a bit for Bolg, and now that Bolg's on a warg, Bolg on a warg as well, it really doesn't matter gameplay which one you use. They're all much of a muchness. Azog and Bolg, neither of them have trouble killing the dwarf characters. They're both that powerful. The white warg's a bit of an issue because he's an infantry model, so it looks silly to have him on the barrels. But use whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. Go from... Go from your own story. That's that's really not that relevant. Nazug and Fimble the Hunter. So we put both of them on foot because it doesn't say on wag. And then you've got 24 Hunter Orcs, so two boxes of Hunter Orcs, and 12 Hunter Orcs and Fel wargs. Once again, it doesn't matter what kind of weapons you've got on them. We usually go for the, the amount of bows in the box. So about eight bows on foot and about three bows, three to six bows. Actually, no, six bows on Wargs, about half the bows on the wags. Once again, it doesn't really matter. You've got a shooting contingent with Nazug, and they usually end up in maybe the middle hill, but use what you want. Starting positions are the good player places the barrels in the river within three inches of the west board edge. So right close to the west board edge, the evil player deploys his models anywhere on the board, more than 24 inches away from the barrels. So they can go on that middle island. You get basically a bunch on the island and a bunch on either banks, usually. You could put them all in one bank if you wanted, but then you might get outflanked. The good player does not deploy the elves at the start with and instead moves on the board from the marked edge at the end of the first move phase. The elves come in end of the first move phase. Neither here nor there. It's it's a nice cinematic way of deploying them and making them run on. The objectives are really simple. Good player wins if Bilbo Baggins and nine or more dwarves are off the board by the east table edge. They stay in their barrels. Well, Bilbo doesn't. He can jump. He's a barrel rider. But the rest must go through their barrels at the end of the river. If Bilbo is slain, but nine or more barrels are moved off, the game is a draw. Otherwise, the evil side wins. Now, the special rules are what make this scenario, because there's a lot of things that that just do not occur in any other scenario. First of all, you've got the bobbing along rule, where the barrels are not really controlled that much by the good player. They move D6 plus 3 inches down the river... And providing they don't have an evil model on them, they may also move up to D3 inches north or south as they move. Now, we've forgotten this quite a bit, and just recently I've made sure we always do that, but that makes a difference. So the evil models on the barrels means the barrels can't steer, and they're more likely to crash into the banks. A barrel touches the river banks and halts its movement. So if it touches the riverbank and it halts its movement... Next turn on a 4+, plus, it may move as normal. Otherwise, it may not move. Roll again as normal instead. Now, we add that if you roll the 4+, plus on the D6, you get to just push it an inch to the side firstly because sometimes you end up not being able to, to move at all. So at least then, even with a series of 4+, pluses, you can slowly move out and, and get to the side if you bog yourself in a particularly bad spot. The barrels are moved by the good player and are always moved at the end of the move phase. Once all other models have moved, The order in which the barrels are moved is chosen by the good player. So this means that you do all your jumping first. You jump onto barrels at the start of the turn. Both sides do. Both sides get into positions. And then the barrels move. So you don't always end up where you want to be. We also recently have put a rule in where the barrels basically ignore other barrels and other models for movement. So you move right through them. At first we're doing that they stopped every time they hit another barrel. And this meant that you could essentially move the barrels in such a way that they hardly moved at all. And they all ran into each other and lots of elves could get on. But it also meant that the orcs could jump in the water and stop the barrels, just catch barrels. Which we found wasn't really what we wanted in the scenario. It wasn't really particularly exciting. So we changed that up and it's much more free-flowing at the moment. So prefer that little addition to the rules. And then Barrel Rider. Any infantry model may ride upon a barrel using the following rules. I won't go through all these, but basically you can climb onto a barrel with a jump test... So you can jump onto it, or you can climb from the water. I guess you could charge an enemy on a barrel, single one. So one of your models can be on there, and then you can end up with a good model and an evil model on top of a barrel. Now, if you lose a fight, yeah, you get pushed into the water. But if you are inside a barrel and you lose a fight, you count as trapped. We've played this wrong quite a bit, I think. And sometimes we play right, sometimes we don't. But basically, sometimes if you get the evil models get pushed off the barrels, it really doesn't matter because they end up dying anyway with the dwarves' attacks, so that's uh, that's our issues there. We've been playing the dwarves that they can't use a hand weapon. We don't make them unarmed because that might change it up. That might be a way to change the difficulty for you, but we play the dwarves as if they've got a hand weapon. It would be really nice for things like uh, Dwalin who get a bonus for not being unarmed, but it doesn't mention unarmed anywhere. But we just mean they can't use special strikes and weapon-based attacks with that. They've also got might still, so it doesn't say they don't have might. So you can do some really nasty things with the dwarves where you call heroic combat to a dwarf. It doesn't move, but something like Tariel or Legolas on top jumps to another barrel and attacks. It's really quite exciting. model in a barrel can be shot at as normal, except the barrel count is in the way. Any models can shoot enemy models on barrels without making the way rolls. So you can shoot models on top of barrels without in the ways, which is useful as well. Get some elves off the barrels, or even the elves shooting hunter orcs off barrels is also good. Evil models can either shoot the barrels or attack them in close combat instead of the occupant. They have a defense of six and three wounds and are always considered to be trapped. So for a lot of the the heavy-armed dwarves, your Thorin and Dwalin might be another one, Glowin maybe, maybe not Dwalin. It's often better just to go at the barrel. The barrel doesn't have any fate. The barrel's got three wounds, defense six, trapped, all your models are strength four. So you end up wounding them on fives anyway, so going for the barrels is, is quite decent. And then the swimming tests are fully in in action here. Deep water, got to swim around, which means that once you get in the water, you can end up dying. Not a lot of the models are heavily armoured, so there's not a huge issue there, but the roll of a one means that the model dies outright, which is unfortunate for the player. Now, the way this scenario plays out, a lot of times the elves come on and their first objective is to jump on barrels because they are so much more useful on the barrels. If they stand back and shoot... They get a couple of turns of shooting, and then when the key action happens, which is about the middle of the board, they usually find themselves out of range. So you want the, the elves on the barrels as soon as possible, especially ones like Taril and Legolas. They just get bogged down and are out of the action if they don't get on a barrel. So getting them on a barrel is key. You often get about half a dozen on the barrels, and the rest end up on the flanks. The good evil side has some warg riders, and usually you use them to slow down the elves. You could use them to reposition the hunter orcs, but... I think most of our players, our evil players, have used them to run forward and try and take out as many elves and block them off and stop them, basically take them out of the action. So it's a little sacrificial force to keep the elves busy, keep them out of the game, keep their shooting at bay. The dwarves either split up and try and go both ways around the the main island, or they all go down one side and hope to outflank. So that's the choice of the dwarf player. Ideally, as a dwarf player, you don't want anyone getting bogged. Bilbo often starts on Dory's Barrel, so he gets the bonus of the extra might. But Bilbo, with the ring, can jump around and is useful. Although we have seen Bilbo drown quite a bit, so watch out for Bilbo jumping and drowning in the water. That's not so funny to be a good player, because it means the best you can achieve is a draw. The evil heroes are very vulnerable to fire. There's actually a lot of fire on the good side. So you want to watch out, make sure they're behind a tree or behind some models, and bring them out at the appropriate time. You do need to commit them. Once your force breaks... It's actually really difficult to get Standfast going effectively because of the way that models and barrels end up moving away from you and it's it's not particularly useful to keep them there. You're better off trying to kill a dwarf or two. You only need to kill about four, four or five dwarves. I can't remember exactly how many. So using a hero to kill them, Bolg or Azog, whichever big one you're using, should be able to kill one or two dwarves on their own if it all goes to plan. As a good player, shooting them down is really useful. I know I've... I've killed Bolg outright with just shooting at him once he jumps on barrels and once he's out the open. And it's just really nice to get rid of him that easily because he's your main threat. The scenario itself just is fun to play straight out. It always ends in a decent game. You always get something going on and it tells a real story. That's what I like about it. It's it's one that I really, really recommend. I do recommend you put your barrels on bases of some kind, whether it's a flat base on the ground or a Games Workshop base. I know the box set comes with the Games Workshop bases, and that way you just prop up guys on barrels, just touching the edges. Sometimes you could write down what they are, but it looks fun to have them there. And it, it's a really cinematic game. It just looks looks great. It is a great game, and we've played it so many times. It's one of the few scenarios we've got that just keeps coming up. Someone always wants to play it. And showing it to new players, they're always impressed with it. It's such a great scenario. I thoroughly recommend it. We've probably mentioned all throughout the podcast the results of the games, and usually it ends up with one key action. Fimble taking out the last dwarf, someone failing, a swim check, Bolg or Azle getting shot down. It's just a fantastic game. So if you have not played this one, I really recommend it. If you want to make a board and you want to start making one, I also recommend this scenario. The board's not going to be useful for every game, but it's such a fantastic scenario to do. It's well worth it. And the board, as I described before, is not that hard to make. So have a go at it. Bolg and his lieutenant's Furious that unlikely allies have once again come to the aid of their prey, assail the wood elves for ever-increasing ferocity. With their would-be pursuers locked in a vicious struggle, Thorin Oakenshield and his companions continue to paddle downstream aboard their barrels in a bid to outrun their pursuers, all except one. As the fighting intensifies along the banks of the river, Kili the Dwarf, impetuous as ever, paddles his way to the shoreline seeking to join in and finally rid Thorin's company of bulge-relentless pursuit. But as he clamours free of the battered barrel, the gravity of the situation soon becomes apparent. Alone and exposed, Killy grimly prepares to fight for his life. Barrels Out of Bond Part 2. Straight out of this one, in the movie, I think this one actually happens before Barrels Out of Bond Part 1, where Killy, at this very start, when they're trying to get out the gate, is injured and they, they need to fight and He needs to get to a barrel afterwards. So if you want to play it from a movie point of view, it might be better to play this one first. Once again, if you want to play it from a movie, it's better to play with Bog. And if you want to play with a book, it's probably better to play Bog anyway, to be honest, because Azog was was not around at that point. The layout of this one is Two foot by six foot of it is actually the board from before. And then they've added three land boards at the north side of it. So if you made, as I described the board before, you just need to add some 9 mil MDF sections. So your 600 mil by 900 mil 9 mil MDF or two foot by three foot. And then add some trees and rocks and hills and all kinds of things to that. Now I use my scatter terrain for this because I've just got some generic boards that I use. And it looks good as well. It's got the river down the bottom and... Yeah, it's, a, it's another good way of doing it. The participants this side have Legolas, Tariel, Killy, 20 Mercud Rangers, and 10 Palace Guard. So the only difference is that you've got Killy on foot instead of the barrels. Then you've got 10 Palace Guard added, which is the one box of Palace Guard, which is a nice touch. That they've actually gone by boxes, and the Palace Guard's a really nice model, so it's good to use them. It's a real shame there's no Palace Guard captains being used. They're, they're great models as well, but having the Palace Guard's good. It doesn't say what weapons, just use whatever weapons you've got in the box. It doesn't really matter, to be honest. Evil, once again, they say Azog on White Wag. We use Bolg. Then you've got Nazog, Fimble the Hunter, 24 Hunter Orcs, and 12 Hunter Orcs and Felwag. So exactly the same participants as before. Great two for one scenario, essentially. Add up 10, pay, 10 more Palace Guard and Killy, which you've probably already painted up if you're doing Hobbit scenarios, and away you go. Now, straight out, we usually use Bolg on this scenario, and we used him on foot at the time of the scenario written. So I haven't actually tried him on Wag in this scenario. I think that might help the evil side out a bit, which is okay, because when we played it, it was slightly balanced to the good side, which is fine. We don't mind that at all. But the Bolg might make it even, or it might make it slightly to the evil side. Either way, it's a nice challenge. So the starting positions, the good player places his models first anywhere in the eastern deployment zone. The eastern deployment zone is a two foot by two foot square in the northeast corner of the board. So they place the models there. They usually end up pretty close to the, the edge of that, so they can move back or move forward as they see fit. More importantly, so they can go after Killy. The evil player places all his or her models in the western deployment edge. Same part, the top corner, top middle box. So that area that's not the river. So you start off in that the normal area. The good player places Killy the Dwarf basically right in the middle of the, uh, the river, down the riverbank. So both forces are running it, trying to get to Killy first. And the reason is, here's the objective. So the game ends and one force is broken. Good player wins is at the end of any phase, the evil army is broken, and Killy the Dwarf is still alive. If the good army's been broken at the end of the game, and Killy the Dwarf has been slain, the evil wins, and the other result is a draw. So you've got basically two objectives, and you have to get both. You have to break your opponent and kill Killy doesn't mention you have to be unbroken, so you could bro- both break at the same turn, and then Achilles' dead or Achilles' alive, and that's the winning result. And the special rules are an ill fate. With Prey in his sight, Nazag hopes to procure the Dreadmaster's favour by slaying Achilles the Dwarf personally. Narzag has slipped his barbed arrows into a vile poison to aid him in his evil deed. Achilles the Dwarf suffers a wound from an arrow fire by Narzag. After fate rolls have been made, he's immediately knocked prone. For the rest of the game, he may do nothing. If engaged in combat, he makes no dual rolls, and thus will automatically lose any fight unless joined by a friendly model. So is actually really powerful here, and he's got a really good shooting rule. You can almost tell that he was designed with this scenario in mind when they first designed him with his extra might on that roll. So that's a particularly nasty rule. Shrewd Vigilance. The elves of Merk would often seek to capture enemy chieftains To discern their moves and movements of their foe. If an enemy hero is is slain, treat them as incapacitated. Leave them on the table, but knocked pro. The model may not move or perform any action for the rest of the game and counts as a casualty for purposes of the evil force being broken. Treat any elf models within three inches of an incapacitated evil hero as being within the range of a banner. So basically, if you kill an evil hero, you leave it there. You put a marker on it saying it's dead, and it becomes a banner for the good side. So killing enemy heroes is really helpful. But the evil side wants to break, so killing the heroes sometimes is not the best idea. Just going for the normal troops is the way to go. For the tactics for this scenario, you want to get Killy behind the good force as soon as possible. So Killy often moves right towards the good force, so it runs there. You could actually march with Killy if you wanted to, to get really fast, but then his might might disappear. And you send out, say, the palace guard or maybe Tauriel to go get in front of, of Kili when you can. Because you need to protect him. You need to keep him alive. You don't want he's on his own. The evil side needs to get to the good side as soon as possible. So the evil side will probably use marches as well. They'll probably call them with their, maybe their thimble or maybe their Nazog. You could do it with Bolg or Azog, but that's a bit bit nasty. And you run at them. Be careful about Nazug. You can either stand there and shoot and try and get rid of Killy early on, which is probably worth taking a shot early on if you can see him. And then, But don't take too long shooting as well because you might get into trouble there. As a good player, sometimes you might want to try and shoot out Nazug first as well. It's a scenario, so good gets a priority. So shooting out Nazug before he gets to shoot back is quite deadly. You want as many of Mercud Rangers to be spread out shooting the evil side as you can because you want to break the evil side pretty quickly and that's the real time for the evil side they need to be in combat overall hunter orcs are more than a match for the mirkwood rangers that the two attacks against the one of the mirkwood rangers really makes the hunter orcs dangerous and they're always going to faint probably, if they have that weapon, have the blades. so They they really make a mess of the Merkled Rangers. Even if, as a Merkled Ranger player, you charge two of the Hunter Orcs to try and increase your chance of winning the combat, it's not actually a huge buff to win the combat, because then you've got four dice with the Hunter Orcs. You really, to make it in your favor, you need that banner. So for the Elves to be decent in combat and really powerful, you need to kill those enemy heroes to get the banners. This is a bit of a precursor to one of the segments in my next main episode, which will be out in a couple of weeks' time, we'll talk about the chances of winning a fight. And basically, it surprised me, the difference. Uh, I was always under the impression with the Mirkwood Rangers that just getting more attacks is the way to go because it got higher fight. And it is, but it's not that much of a difference in this scenario. And look, you're going to die if you lose a combat anyway most of the time because there's there's a huge chance of losing it. And you may take out more guys, but it's no more than a guarantee. So... Go for the shooting if you can. Try and avoid combats as much as you can. And let, let Legolas and Tyro do some of the fighting. They're, they're pretty good at it. Miracle Rangers are nice in that you can take a charge of a lot of Hunter Orcs. And once you do, if you have a lot of Hunter Orcs there on you, you end up having more chance of winning. And the Fight 5 means it's just tough for the evil heroes to take you on, except for the big one. So, basically, shooting's going to win the day for the good side. And, and if the evil side slows down and isn't bothered calling call a march, that... They'll dominate the good side. The evil side needs to make sure that you can get as many play, many models into your march as possible. So oftentimes you deploy all within six inches either side or something like a, a thimble. Make sure they don't get shot out and then just march away and march twice, march three times and just get as close as you can, throw them forward and then get into combat as soon as possible because that's your only real chance. I do like this scenario. It feels a lot like a points match game, but the participants are interesting and pretty evenly matched. The issue I have with it is that you only really use half the board because of Killy being in the middle, the good side being on one side and the evil on the other. It all, always, always, always goes towards the good side. Killy runs towards the good side, good goes there. So you don't end up using basically the the two foot. You could easily play this on a four foot by four foot board and then have the same results and have the evil player deploy on the board edge and then Killy start within 12 inches so that that usually marks down a scenario for me. If you set up a board and there's part of the board that's not used. But other than that, it's a good fun scenario. It's definitely not the one that we play as much as the last one, the barrels out of Bond part one. We play it a bit, we enjoy it, but it doesn't have that long-term interest that the barrels have had, mainly because it's a pretty typical game. It's It's a good fun game, but there's nothing really out of the ordinary. But the nice thing about it is if you go to the effort to make Barrels Out of Bond Part 1, you pretty much do make Barrels Out of Bond Part 2 as well with just a very small amount of extra models. So once again, it gets a recommendation for me. And I urge, urge, urge our listeners to have a go at this. Maybe get together a group of people and get one person to make the board, and the others make the models or whatever. But do have a go at these scenarios. They're fantastic from the Desolation of Smog book. Uh, which is unfortunately unavailable which is a real shame because it's a great great book with some great scenarios but you may be able to find ways to get hold of that maybe someone in your group's got it who knows so that's all from me for this episode so hopefully you enjoy these two scenarios i really do i'll put up some photos of barrels out of bond on our facebook page maybe with some of my participants that i painted for it because i do like my my hunter Hawks and my mirkwood rangers they're both fun forces to paint and and play with, and have a go at these scenarios, I can't stress that enough, have a go at them, they are really, really good fun, definitely worth it, the barrels out of bond takes probably about an hour and a half to two hours to play through, and it's worth every moment of it, the second one's probably a little bit shorter, because it goes to break point, but they're both satisfying games, so enjoy them, thank you very much, goodbye, and remember, traps win games, thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon Podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women, those with a history of heart conditions or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. You can contact us on thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.